What's up, my fellow entrepreneurs, dream chasers, and those who are on a journey towards being the best version of themselves? Today is very special because today is the introduction of the mindset segment of the show. This segment will be solo episodes, no guests, where I break down important lessons for our journey of life. I decided to call it mindset because everything starts in the mind. Our thoughts, our beliefs, our perspectives, everything. If we can train the mind, we can literally accomplish anything, and I really believe that. And so in this first episode, I'm breaking down some of the work of Dr. Lori Santos. And if you don't know who that is, Dr. Lori Santos taught the most popular class at Yale ever, called The Science of Well-Being. And I was very fortunate to be able to take that class during this coronavirus pandemic because she was offering it for free online. She is also now the host of The Happiness Lab, one of the best performing podcasts in the world. And what I'm going to be sharing here today is what I have titled The Eight Happiness Habits. But this is based off all of her research and all of the misconceptions about happiness out there. She says these eight things are basically extremely correlated with your happiness and well-being. And so why did I decide to share these things with you here today? Well, the world's kind of crazy, as we know, and life has had a lot of twists and turns. And we all feel like we're very out of control. Well, these eight things are things that we can control. And so I want to gift these to you. Some of these you'll know, but a lot of it I just want to share the science behind it. I want to share why it's actually making you happier. And then you can go about trying to incorporate these eight things on a daily or weekly basis. And you are sure to have a better experience during this crazy time in the world. And so let's get into it. The eight happiness habits. The first one is what Dr. Lori Santos calls signature strengths. And this is pretty simple. But again, we aren't really taught this in school. And the idea is to just use your top five strengths on a frequent basis. And so I'm going to break this down for you a little bit. Martin Seligman is a psychologist and he has a TED talk talking about happiness. And he breaks happiness down into three levels. The top layer, or as I like to call it, more of the frosting on the cake, is the pleasant life. And these are pleasurable experiences, common things that we think about from from dancing to going out with friends to just things that are more high-level, pleasure-based activities. The second layer, which is kind of the, the, the cake, if you will, is the engaged life. In the engaged life is simply this idea of finding flow and engagement with what you're doing. And the way he says to do this is to identify your strengths and find a good way that you can apply them on a daily basis. This is how you're going to find engagement, you're going to enjoy work because it's hard to find flow or an engagement in things that you're not good at or at least that you don't want to improve or excel at. And so the second layer is that engagement. And this is where we're using our signature strengths on a daily or weekly basis, preferably at our jobs. And then the third layer, and this is the 
the hot fudge in the middle of the cake. This is, this is the core of it all, and it's the meaningful life. And the meaningful life is where we can use our top five strengths, but also have an underlying purpose towards what we're doing with it. And so why do I share this with you? Well, again, this is not something that we're really taught in school that says, hey, you will be happier if you use your strengths on a daily basis. And so there's some pretty simple ways to discover what your top strengths are. And then you can go about using them on a daily basis. And so here's two powerful ways that I found. One is obviously you can take something like a strengths finder test, or there's also free tests online that you can just find your strengths and take a simple basic test. Another really great way that I found, and this actually changed the game for me, is about a couple months ago I did this, and I asked my closest friends and family, those who really know me, what are my superpowers? And I was very surprised that every single person came back with just two different answers. And the answers that they told me were optimism and my ability to connect with others and make people feel seen. And so once I understood that all my friends and family had identified this superpower in me, I was able to say, okay, in, a da- in my daily life, how can I use optimism and my ability to connect with others and make them feel seen How can I use those on a daily basis so I can live this engaged and happy life? And so that's number one, using your signature strengths. Happiness habit number two is called savoring. And this one might sound a little bit corny, but there's research here. So hear me out. Savoring is taking time to savor the things you enjoy doing. And at the core of this, what we're trying to do is we're trying to thwart hedonic adaptation if you don't know what hedonic adapt excuse me if you don't know what hedonic adaptation is hedonic adaptation is this idea that we get used to things in life and now this is both good and bad so when you think about pleasurable experiences you want that experience to last forever but what you realize over time is that it starts to fade. A great example of this, going back to our chocolate cake, the first piece of cake you have is amazing. But if you were to have a second piece of cake and a third piece of cake all in one sitting, the amount of joy you would get from that experience goes down. And this applies to bigger things in life. Over time, we simply get used to pleasurable things and they become the standard and the norm. Now, the positive of, the positive of hedonic adaptation is that we also get used to the negative. Humans are extremely resilient. So when things go wrong, we're pretty good at getting used to it. But anyways, jumping back to the positive side of things, how do we offset this idea and the fact that we get used to things? Well, it's savoring. What do I mean by that? What I mean by savoring is just taking a moment to appreciate what's going on. And a good ways to do this are sharing the experience with someone else taking a moment to think about how lucky you are to be in a certain moment or to have had a certain moment or 
you know, keeping a photo of an activity or a thing you did to look at and remind yourself of that awesome experience. It could be something as simple as maybe you love your morning coffee, but sometimes you forget how amazing that experience is. And before you take your sip, you just look at it and you enjoy it and you take that sip and you just savor and you be in that moment. Now, the benefits of this, like I just said, obviously that keeps us in the moment. It helps remind ourselves of the good things. It helps us be more grateful and it helps us to really have more positive experiences and like I said, thwart this hedonic adaptation. So every day, take one minute, minute, one second, whatever it is, and I like to call it the daily slow dance. Do a daily slow dance. Really stop in some experience. Don't be rushed and really sit in it and enjoy it and savor it. All right, happiness habit number three. Happiness habit number three is gratitude. Express gratitude for the people and the things in your life. Starting with the benefits of this, let's go straight to the benefits of practicing gratitude and then we'll get to the methods. Increases your mood, lowers stress level, strengthens your immune system, makes you feel stronger social connections and One of the biggest reasons why it's so important is that it overrides our brain's negative bias. So if you haven't heard this concept before, I've talked about it, but humans are made to be slightly negative. Why? Well, we are primed and we are created biologically to want to survive, right? So instincts like fear and stress and negative emotions were all warning signs. And so back in the day, you know, our early human ancestors, if none of them had negative emotions or fear or stress or were on edge, we probably wouldn't be alive today as a species because when some animal came and attacked them, they wouldn't have been ready for it. But here's the thing. In today's modern world, these negative emotions and stressors don't serve us like they used to. I'm not often walking down the street and have the threat of a lion lion attacking me, right? And so how can we do this? Well, actually, the studies and science show that when you practice gratitude and you truly sit there and you relive emotions or relive experiences or be thankful for the people in your life, what you're doing is you're forming new neural associations in your brain that is making positive links. And so you're telling your brain, hey, focus on this positive stuff. And over time, you're starting to offset that negative bias that our brains have. Now, you're never going to fully get rid of it. But the idea is you're training your brain to see the positive more in life. And now there's three kind of ways to try to, you know, experience gratitude. And there's more than this, but I wrote down three. The best way to really do it is to sit down close your eyes and truly relive an experience. So it's not saying, oh, yep, I'm grateful for family and then moving on. The best way to do it is sit down, think that you're grateful for family and take a minute and really go back to certain experiences, memories, emotions that your family makes you feel and truly relive those experiences. The second is what I would call a micro dose of gratitude. And this is more on the savoring lens of things, right? Sitting down before a meal and taking two seconds to just be grateful for the meal. 
you know, like I said, the cup of coffee, going to hang out with a friend, just just in any moment, taking a couple of seconds to be grateful for that moment. And then, of course, the last thing, and I do this too, is some sort of running list or a journal, right? And it's just nice to have one spot that you can go to where you're writing down the things that you're grateful for in your life. Okay, happiness habit number four, and this one is pretty cool. It's kindness, increasing your acts of kindness towards others. And here's the thing that's so interesting. There is actually four brain circuits that affect our well-being. So Richard Davidson is a neuroscientist, actually from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, but he is one of the most renowned neuroscientists in the world, friends with people like the Dalai Lama, and this man has just done some incredible work. And so what he did is he tried to figure out what are the, neurologically, what are the brain circuits that relate to our well-being? And he found four. The first was the ability to maintain positive states. The second was our ability to recover from negative states. The third was our ability to focus and avoid mind wandering. And then our fourth was our ability to be generous. Our ability to be generous. No wonder people like giving. And so the reality is, is that there's a part of our brain that is wired towards kindness. Again, going back to the biological root of human beings, we are social creatures and we are born to help support each other through life. So when we give, it literally sends off happiness hormones within us and it makes us feel good. And now this is backed by other research, research too. In 2006, they did a big study on is there a correlation between happiness and kindness? The answer was yes. Does thinking about acts of kindness increase happiness? The answer is yes. And when you increase your kind acts, does that increase happiness? The answer was yes. And this is seen by simple test too, which is, they call it, you know, how does money make you happy? There's certain ways that it does. And people actually enjoy spending money on others more than spending money on themselves. So that's another interesting thing to note. And so what the researchers actually said, which is kind of sounds backwards, is when we're having a bad day, sometimes instead of treating ourselves it might be a good idea to treat others, to do something nice for others, to buy your friend a coffee, to say hi to someone, text text your friend and, and say, hey man, I miss you or I'm thinking about you, right? These simple acts can actually make us feel happier. All right, on to number five. Number five is social connections. Make connections with strangers and acquaintances along with scheduling time for the people in your life. Now, this one is obviously the most difficult right now due to the social constraints of the world that we are living in, but I'm going to share with you and then I'll and I'll just challenge you to think about how you can still apply this to your life right now, even though our worlds are a little bit less social. And now the first thing is that we all kind of know that being close with friends and family makes us more happy, right? Romantic partnerships, etc. right? This is a pretty common thing. Right? It seems logical that if you have good friends and family that you will be happier. And now one thing that we can do with this, obviously, during quarantine and everything is just making sure that we're still scheduling in time. Even if you can't see people face to face or even if you have to do it from a distance, you can still find ways to get creative and to see each other and to make sure that we're getting these times of social connection because it is so important for our happiness and well-being. Now, this is the interesting thing. And again, this doesn't apply too much to life right now, but I still want to share it because I think it's really fascinating. 
our interactions with strangers actually make us happier. Now, it's weird because we actually think the opposite. We have a misconception. We think that we would prefer to not talk to strangers. And so they did a big experience on a train car in Chicago. Right? They asked people, you know, if you're going on a train in the morning, would you rather not talk or talk to people? And everyone's like, oh, I would rather not talk to people. Well, the reality was that the reason we don't want to talk to strangers is just because we don't think other people want to talk to us. But at the end of the day, we all actually do want to connect. And how do they study this? Well, they actually did a full study on this and they told people, all right, go on the train and don't talk to anybody. Put your headphones in, listen to music versus every morning you have to go meet someone new on your train. And then they were studying them afterwards to see who was happier. Well, of course, the people who weren't going to talk to anyone, thought they would be happier, but in reality, they ended up less happy than the people who did talk to someone. And this is seen in actually a more practical experience where back in the day, there was a social car. They actually used to have a social car on the train, and I think they serve, they might even serve some food on there. And now, this car was so successful They actually had to shut it down because there was too many people that wanted to crowd into the social space. And now it's being proposed in today's world before coronavirus was to implement silent cars because people were requesting it. But what the researchers were telling the city is, hey, yes, people are requesting this, but people have been wrong about this for a long time because people assume that these quiet cars are going to make them happy when in reality it's the social cars that do it's the ability to connect and to sit and make eye contact with a stranger and to acknowledge them and to to affirm that they exist and that they're important and so these connections with strangers are actually really important to our to our connection and to our feeling of connectedness to the world now obviously right now this is difficult but i would still challenge you to think how can i connect with strangers even in today's world and so the big, the big thing about social connection and loneliness, there's all the studies out right now about the, the negativities of loneliness. And in fact, they studied that if you are going to go from someone who is feeling lonely to feeling connected, that is the same increase on your happiness as a fourfold increase in income. Think about that for a second. Pretty powerful stuff. All right. Number six and seven are both pretty logical things, so I'll run through them quickly. Exercise. Pretty obvious, right? Increase your physical movement. And now Dr. Laurie Santos says to 30 minutes, at least three days a week. In my own head, I would challenge you to do more. Move every day because it's really good for your body. But again, this just says 30 minutes, at least three days a week. And why did they say that? Well, they did a study. 156 people were suffering from major depression. And the only medication they gave them was exercise three times a week for 30 minutes and 90% of them recovered. Now, that's a pretty good argument for exercise, right? Even though you might not be majorly depressed listening to this, odds are you're probably a big thinker and a dream chaser and you'd consider yourself to have some, you know, stress, burnout, mental health issues. I'm not sure if you, anyone out there is really listening to this and they're thinking, I am very depressed at this moment. It is very possible because a lot of us suffer from different things. But my point is, is that if exercise alone can offer something so serious as that, man, you got to be pretty convinced that that's pretty good for you. 
And of course, what it's doing is naturally releasing serotonin, a happiness chemical in our body. It's improving our brain function, our cognitive function, and all those great things. And so there's only two tips I have. Again, I assume a lot of you out there are active. If you're not, there's two tips that I find really important. One, find something you truly enjoy. Movement should be a fun thing. Whether it's sports or weightlifting or yoga or just even going for walks or bike rides, Just find something you truly enjoy. Maybe find a friend to do it with and just have fun with it. The other thing is really think about micro hits. We often think about exercise as this, all right, for one hour in a day, I'm going to go exercise and I'm going to sit on my ass the rest of the day. What I try to do every hour or so is just get up, do some squats, do some stretching, even if it's for a minute, 30 seconds, go for a walk around the block for five minutes. These micro hits are so good for our bodies. Humans were not made to be sitting as long as we do. And so to kind of keep our bodies moving and fresh and active and nimble and to just keep our, our system moving, find a way to in, in, like implement micro hits in your day. All right, and the number seven is sleep, right? Make sure you sleep at least seven hours a night, multiple times a week. We've all heard this, and it's pretty hard to convince people until you just show them the sign that says, look, if you sleep seven to eight hours a night, you will be happier. It will increase your cognitive performance, and actually, it helps us remember things better. And so even something like a nap in the middle of the day, it helps cue your memory memory because your subconscious mind is piecing things together while you're asleep. And so there's always benefits of sleep. I won't go too deep into it right now, but just know, you know, seven plus hours of sleep a night will make you happier. And then finally, and one of my personal favorites, and if you've listened to my show before, you know this is a favorite of mine. Number eight happiness habit is meditation. Meditating for five to 10 minutes a day if you are a beginner or increase if you are more advanced. And if you're thinking right now, ah, I don't want to meditate or I, I, I've done it or you know it doesn't work very well for me, you got to listen to the science. So remember when I mentioned Richard Davidson's four quadrants of the mind that relate to well-being? And one of them was our ability to concentrate and avoid mind wandering. Now, what's happening is that 46.9% of the time, our brains are actually wandering. And the reason is, is that our brain is going into the default mode network. And this is the part of our brain that lives in the past or the future. And what's really happening is when our brain doesn't see an immediate thing to focus on, it instantly goes into a state of mind of thinking about, past, future, or what is the next important thing I need to focus on. And so meditation is this practice of turning our thoughts towards a single reference point. And the idea behind this is we're training ourselves to be able to focus, focus on what's happening right now, right here, and avoid this mind wandering. And so if I told you You know, everyone wants to be more present, right? I want to be more present. Well, 46.9% of the time, your brain is wandering. That means about half of your life, you aren't present. And here's the secret pill. And the secret pill is meditation. Meditation will allow you to be more present in your life and your experiences. And that's the biggest pitch, sales pitch I've ever heard in my own life. It hit hard for me. Hopefully, it hits hard for you too. If it doesn't, here's some more things. Obviously, there's so many benefits, but... You know, building brain tissue for stress reduction, cognitive performance boost, um, decreasing feelings of anxiety, and can actually increase this social closeness and a sense of oneness with the world. 
And so there's always incredible things about meditation. And I'll just give you three simple types to start with if you haven't begun a practice or just as a reminder of three very good practices to do. So the first one is kind of this idea of mindfulness, but it's, it's called noting. And so what you can do is you can simply note the things that you're experiencing, right? So maybe you have a thought pop into your head. And instead of judging that thought, you just note, oh, okay, that's what I thought about. And then you go back to just, okay, now I'm just focusing on my breath. And then maybe there's an itch on your arm. And instead of just itching it, you notice, okay, there's an itch on my arm. Maybe you hear a bird chirping. and you. So what you're doing is you're just becoming very aware of what's happening. You're starting to really understand, okay, and instead of reacting to everything and having your mind go all crazy, you're simply acknowledging what's going on and you're returning to the breath. The other kind is simply this concentration on the breath and you're just focusing on the breath. And every time your mind goes some away or something else happens, you almost completely sort of, you don't really even note it or acknowledge it. You've kind of noticed that you've strayed away from the breath and then you go back to it. And this is literally exactly trying to, train your brain to avoid mind mind wandering because it's getting really good at okay our brains are always going to wander a bit but when it does how quickly can i snap back into the moment and so when you practice this okay breath breath mind goes away back to breath breath mind goes away back to breath and you do that over and over and over and over and over again you're going to start to really control your mind and you're going to start to be able to avoid that mind wandering and the last thing, and this is one of my personal favorites too, is a loving kindness meditation, right? And this is just sending good energy towards yourself and others. So loving kindness can look like praying for others. It can look like sending good energy to others. It can look like sending good energy to yourself through the use of mantras or the use of phrases like, you know, I am at peace. Phrases like, I am a positive force in the world. Phrases like I am a leader, right? Positive affirmation type stuff. And so those are the three kinds of things that you can do. Very simple, very easy. And so if you want to start with one of those, I would definitely recommend it. And so would Dr. Lori Santos, the person who has studied happiness for a living, living. And she says one of the eight happiness habits is meditation. And so there you have it. Signature strengths. Use your top strengths on a daily basis. Savoring, gratitude, kindness, social connections, exercise, sleep, and meditation. These are all things you can do to improve your daily experience right now, even though we're living in a strange time. And so I'm sure some of you listening have already done some of these, but I'm sure you haven't. So after this episode, take out a piece of paper and write down these eight things and truly think about, okay, how can I start to incorporate these more into my daily life? Because the Yale professor who taught the most popular class ever is recommending these to me. Now, obviously, there is more things that can make you happy, and there's more types of happiness habits. But today, I just wanted to share with you these eight because I thought it would be a very powerful thing to share. And this is obviously a very credible source. And I just felt like this was something that the world needed right now. So thanks for tuning into the first episode of Mindset on the Dreamology podcast. And you know what time it is. Even though there's always things we can't control, the dream life really happens in our ability to make the most of each day we are here on earth. And so with that being said, take these eight happiness habits, go make your dream life a reality, and I will see you next time. <laughs>